Film Society of Lincoln Center, you're listening to The Close-Up. Each week we bring you in-depth conversations with some of the biggest names in filmmaking. One of the hottest tickets at the 54th New York Film Festival was Moonlight, Barry Jenkins' follow-up to his 2008 low-budget indie, Medicine for Melancholy. The film is split into three parts, spanning the childhood, adolescence, and adulthood of a gay African-American man growing up in war-on-drugs-era Miami. Building off the buzz from its premiere at the Toronto Film Festival, Moonlight was a favorite among audiences and critics alike. Richard Brody writes in The New Yorker, Jenkins burrows deep into his characters' lives and minds with a granular precision, conjured with urgent performances, frank dialogue, and a repertory of tense close-ups and hyperkinetic swoops. As a part of our NYFF Live series, which is sponsored by HBO, we welcome Jenkins and several of his key collaborators for a panel discussion entitled Making Moonlight. The evening offered an in-depth look at the making of the film from Jenkins' adaptation of Terrell Alvin McCraney's play in Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue, to his collaborations with indie producer Adela Romanski and Dee Dee Gardner and Jeremy Kleiner from Plan B, Brad Pitt's production company. The evening was moderated by our deputy director, Eugene Hernandez. Let's go to that now. All right, thank you all for doing this, and thank you for joining us. Um, just as a bit of background, this, um, this format of talk, we do these talks every night during the festival, they're free. Um, this format, this making of format, is really meant to give the audience um, uh, insight, background, um, history, context. Um, but before we do that, how many people have already seen the film? Okay, and how many people are going to see it in a little while tonight. Okay, so I sort of expected we'd have that kind of split in the room. Um, and so, you know, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the film in, in, in a way that doesn't um, give away too much, but that gives people a, a context, again, background and, and a real understanding of, of um, the collaboration that took place. That's, that's one of the key terms that we talk about a lot. We're starting a program tonight uh, within the context of this conversation, our Artist Academy program starts tonight. So a number of our, um, our artists who will be here with us for the next three days, uh, sitting with um, other artists like yourselves, talking about collaboration, talking about creative process, um, will be um, intently listening in as well. And they're seeing the movie at 9 o'clock today. Um, I already warned Adela that I would start with her. Um, Which I appreciated. <laughs> but the reason I, I wanted to start with you is that um, something that Barry said in Telluride piqued my interest or um, made me even more curious. And maybe you can help me flesh out the story. But the element that I remember was something about a G chat or a, or a, or a, or a Skype chat or something where you guys were, you were checking in on him and saying, what are you working on? Or there, yeah, there's yeah. So I mean, I think he specifically said I shamed him into making a movie. Right, I didn't want to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe you could flesh that out for us. But what really happened um, is that we uh, started having, so Barry and I have known each other for about 15 years now, since, since we went to college together. And uh, about three years ago, we started um, getting together on Google Hangout like twice a month to just talk freeform like ideas with the intent of, of landing on something that would be his next feature. And we didn't know it was gonna be this particular story, but that was you know, basically how we went about it. 
and and as a producer, this we sort of get into process and and sort of creative inspiration, collaboration. Tell me about your your own thought process now that it's all over um, uh, about how you provoke an artist, for lack of a better word, how you encourage, how you um, push. Um, Shame. I feel like that's a a Barry question more than that's a me question. I am persistent, I will say that. Um. Well, what was it about Barry then? What was it about uh, wanting to... Um, uh, She's married to my cinematographer, so (laughs) if if, if I eat, we all eat. (laughs) Uh, What? (laughs) You sit right next to me. You couldn't hear that? No, I didn't. Um, What was it about Barry? Sure. Sorry. No. Uh, well, Barry was the, was so, I guess maybe, I don't know if this is relatable for everybody, but, you know, I think when you go through a film program like we did, there's always the kid who kind of, you know, year after year is making the, the best work in the class, and Barry was always that person to his, his class, I think. And so I, when he made Medicine for Melancholy, um, which I think further solidified the idea that he was uh, a true artist and a, a real um, unique voice as a filmmaker. We all wanted, I'm sure you all wanted, I wanted, James, my husband, our cinematographer, wanted to see him take the next step and, and do the next project. I know you guys wanted to see that too. Um, so I think that's where it came from, really. It was from a place of feeling like the, the world would appreciate to see the next Barry Jenkins film. Um, Barry, did you feel like you, how did you feel about the, the poking, the, the checking in? The, did you need that? Um, yeah, I, th- I thought it was cool, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, because, you know, in addition to being a great producer, like you said, you know, we had a, a relationship uh, that, you know, that, you know, had been in existence for a long time. Like, her husband's one of my best friends and, you know, probably my, I'm a, my closest collaborator, so... So I knew it came from, despite the fact that she was pushing, uh, that it came from a very, like, genuinely, like, caring place, you know? Yeah. Did, you, did, you per, did you perceive it as pushing, or did you perceive it as oh, it was therapeutic? Pushing. No, 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 she's like, she's being nice now. But I think the first conversation was, what the fuck are you doing? You know, why haven't you made a fucking film? I think film? I said, you need to make a movie. No, 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 don't sugarcoat it. I remember it. that because I said. Because we're reconsidered, don't that's sugarcoat brilliant. it. That's brilliant strategy, actually. <laughs> I don't even think I knew that particular turn of phrase. That's very smart. Thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> um, Terrell, how do you and Barry know each other? Tell me about um, how you, tell me about uh, the conversations you guys had that uh, led to the two of you ultimately working together. Do you remember the early conversations you had? Yes, because they were, they were few, I think. Uh, August Wilson talks about or spoke about who uh, the uh, playwright, <clears throat> African American playwright, talks about. Uh, someone asked him a question like, "What do you What do you know about Africa? What do you What are you trying to do about Africa?" And he was actually he said, "It's not what I know about Africa. It's what Africa knows about me. It's what the story is telling about me." Um, and I think that's where we meet. You know, we're learning about each each other's day to day, actually right in front of you. I say something, he goes, That's, did that happen? <laughs> and we go back and forth. But it's through the story that we know each other. Um, and I think that's, we have a kind of meeting ground there that, you know, we don't have to sort of go, me too, but we have me too moments often. 
through the film. And so the first, first conversations were more like, hey, I really love this story. Um, there's something in it. I don't know what it is. And I said, okay. And that was the end of that conversation. <laughs> and then he came back and he was like, I found something. I found my way in. And I was like, great. And that was the end of that conversation. And then he sort of sent a draft. I mean, it, I mean I'm, not, I'm not being hyperbolic. They really were these very sort of brief and to the point conversations about, um, about caring about the work and being intimate about the work and coming, coming to it fully. So just to take a step back for a moment, I asked you this just a moment ago. Um, in, Moon, in Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue um, was a piece that um, has been talked about as a play. It wasn't staged. You wrote it in 03, you told me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't trying to, <laughs> trying to fool you. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm just trying to, I, I was curious because um, what, you wrote it in 03 and then what, what was happening with it, I guess, is the question. Well, I was writing a lot of things in 03. Yeah. So I lost my mother in July of 2003. Uh -huh. And um, I also had graduated from undergrad. And I'd applied to the Yale School of Drama. And at that time, I'd sort of tried to, I, I was that kid who's always trying to come in ready. Uh -huh. you, uh, uh, similar to the drug dealer in Moonlight, the drug dealer in my life told me, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Yeah. So I tried to come into school ready. And I knew that we would have to take a film class. I knew that we would have to take, um, have playwriting class. So I wrote this play called The Brother Size. Uh -huh. And I wrote this piece in Moonlight Black Boys Look Blue. And I wrote this other play that I can never remember the name of because it was really bad and I kind of threw it away somewhere. <laughs> but I wrote them in order to be ready. So the first day I would have work. And Moonlight, um, I, I, again, I'd been writing plays since I was in high school. And my high school theater teacher then said to me, you know, if the play keeps coming to you in images, it's not a play anymore. It's, it's not a play. That's not, how play. that's not the world of plays. If it keeps coming to you in stark images like that, you have to find the language to do it. So Moonlight, I already knew it wasn't a play. Okay. It already had language that meant, I mean, it, it was non-sequential. It happened on top of each other. There was juxtapositions that we just could not pull off in the theater. So I sort of put it aside. I sort of went, this right. is a piece that's very autobiographical, very much about my life, me trying to piece out artistically um, events in my own life. I don't know what to do with it just now, so I'll put it over here. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and that was two, and then I went off to grad school. Wow. Um, I want to come back to the story and the writing process in a moment, but I want to bring um, Didi and Jeremy into the conversation because another sort of um, infamous or famous story around this particular film uh, says that, I guess my understanding is... Is it really is, that infamous? I don't know if it's infamous. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating um, moment, I guess. Uh, apparently because I think I was there, Barry moderated a conversation uh, at the premiere of 12 Years a Slave at the Telluride Film Festival. Um, was that the first time you guys had ever met? No, no, no. no. We, so we, yeah, I mean, we, we had seen Medicine for Melancholy, you know, upon its release, basically, and um, thought it was an incredibly beautiful film and wanted to work with Barry um, like a lot of people did and, and do. And, you know, as happens, you know, we didn't really hit on the right project. We, we bandied some stuff about, we went back and forth um, for a couple of years, I think, and then we sort of lost touch. So there was a gap between when we saw him at Telluride and when we had last seen him. 
which which made us reconnecting with him feel as sometimes can happen i think a little a little even more special than it always is to see barry and that that re kind of reunion of of just conversation and talking about what we what we were hoping to do and working on that exchange led to um, ultimately us being sent the script for Moonlight, the screenplay for Moonlight. Um, for context for the room, tell us what Plan B is, tell us about your company, just give us a foundation so we understand, people may not know, uh, Didi, what Plan B Entertainment is. <laughs> uh, we've been a film production company for about um, almost 13 years. Uh, our partner is Brad Pitt and um, we just are trying to tell some good stories. <laughs> So how did, how did, uh, tell me about the first conversation you had with Barry about this particular project. It was a sneak attack. <laughs> no way. You I didn't really send it as a moot. You're like, oh, I wrote this, but. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, it, I guess, well, it's two parts, but when this got real, it was a sneak attack because I knew they had read the script, but I had no idea they were interested in working on it. I sent it as, hey, I'm back and I'm writing things. You should check this out. This was like months after Tell You Right. And then they were like, hey, you want to go out to dinner? I was like, yeah, I would love to go out to dinner. So I'm sitting there at this fucking dinner. I'm like, what, what, why are we having dinner? And then it became very clear, oh, that's why we're having dinner? And so I went outside and started texting Adela. I was like, oh shit, this is why we're having dinner. Um, yeah, I remember and, you called me when you got home and you're like, so I think this happened. Yeah, <laughs> and, it, and, and it just got, it got really real, like really quick uh, after that. But I, I would like to talk about the experience we had when we read the screenplay, um, which, uh, you know, it, it's this, this one for us is, we, we all love this so much and it really was and is a really beautiful um, piece of writing um, derived from a really beautiful piece of writing. And it had, it felt totally epic and also totally um, tender and emotional and intimate at the same time, which is an extremely odd juxtaposition. And it had a structural concept that was so um, beautiful and elegant and simple. And it had, and it was, and it felt um, uncategorizable in kind of the same way that I think. Um, you know, that sometimes really striking work can be where there, you can talk about it and, and what it is and you can describe it, but there's something beyond even how you would describe it that is a feeling or a, some kind of odd X factor that you're trying to put into words or, 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 or conjure somehow. And um, uh, now that I've hyped the screenplay to death, maybe you guys will enjoy the film too. <laughs> um, if this was a sneak attack, uh, tell me about the conversation that the two of you had on the other end um, going into this dinner. What was your uh, It was just intention? you read something and, and uh, we, it just felt ready. It, that's, that's, the, that's the best word I can put to it. it. Why isn't this being made? We should go make this movie, you know? It didn't... Um, it wasn't, it just wasn't elusive in any way. It just, it was there and we loved Barry as a filmmaker and it had been a long time and what, what, what do you mean you're sending it as a writing sample? We should go make the movie, you know? Uh, that's rare <laughs> when something just sort of presents itself as if it's ready to run out of the gate. But that's what this felt like. 
And we also, you know, we um, uh, had a really great set of discussions with Adela um, about, you know, coming together uh, amongst ourselves and doing it. And that, that's also, a, that was a lovely process. And, you know, that, that partnership that underpinned the making of the film was, was a, one of the lovely things that also has come out of this for us is getting to know Adela, who's an amazing producer and doing amazing work. And, and we, got, we got a chance to, I think, learn a lot from each other. And, and feeling like that promise was there too, that we were gonna get to work on something we love with, you know, on behalf of and with someone we love, and then learn, you know, learn from a producing partner. That, that was really a lovely thing. Well, I, wouldn't, I wanna ask um, then Adela to talk about the other half of that relationship, because I think, um, you know, again, pardon me for being, feeling surprised that, um, a company of you know with the stature of plan b not to not to diminish the writing but the point being that that it's almost um i guess it's unexpected for some people that a that a company from hollywood would um would engage with a project that that comes from such an indie quote unquote place because when you do it obviously elevates the potential for the project for the film from all perspectives um but it also requires as Jeremy just said, a collaboration. Um, so maybe Adela, you can help us understand how that kind of collaboration works. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was surprisingly easy uh, to work with these guys and for all of us to work together on the film. Um, I think that we, and I remember Barry and I talking about this early on, like knowing you know, the, the history that you guys have as a company and the reputation and the kind of work that you're doing. Um, you know, and that could be a very scary thing, having, having sort of a, a partner come on board with that kind of stature and, um, you know, potentially influence and opinions and, and whatnot. But um, I think we just decided to trust in the process and trust in these guys. And um, there was, uh, it was, I, I don't know, I remember being very open, like a very open um, and sort of beautiful, surprisingly beautiful um, relationship. Um, they're not on the panel, but I guess it's important to at least mention A24 yeah, because they, can you, can you, can you tell me where they yeah. came into the process, fit into the process? Yeah, I distributing mean, the film as well as. Shout out to A24. I mean, they were an incredible partner throughout this movie and, and incredible in so many ways, incredible in, in their, in their, the sort of speed of their commitment to this, the, the um, you know the the embracing the fact that it was to be filmed in Miami, not in tax credit state, you know Y and Z, which is not something to belittle. Movies are expensive; it's expensive, to, you know. So that's those are tough decisions, um, and you know that was uh, you know we've always um, uh, admired the company and thought they were doing great work, and and you know we around the time that we read the screenplay was the time that they sort of amongst themselves, I think. We're talking about starting to finance films and, and kind of own films, make them in addition to acquiring them. So that was another just like lovely circumstance that just was, you know, a little unscripted. But, um, uh, you know, we, we've, we've known Daniel and, and, and David and John and Nicolette and the team for some time and, and um, Noah Sacco and they were just, they just believed, you know, they believed and they, and they didn't, um, I can't, I kind of don't remember a moment where they were 
less than supportive of you know Barry's vision and and doing what the film needed. The question was, what does the film need? And they would answer the question with, what what the film needs. It's interesting because I asked uh, Noah recently, Noah from A24, who I believe is in acquisitions, um, about taking the script to his colleagues, and it was his answer was very similar to yours, Didi, in that he said he read it, and it just it just made sense. I mean, he read it, and it was obvious that not only should, that they should do it, but that it was, I mean, he didn't say it's ready to go, but that was the effect. It was like, this is, we have, of course we're gonna do this. This is just like, I mean, that's, that, that's incredible. Um, I wanna switch gears again and, and, and go back to um, the, the writing process, the collaboration process. I guess I wanna better understand um, what happens between 2003 and the, the, this piece being put aside effectively, and then the two of you. It was it was that guy. Okay, give us that. It was that guy. Component. No, seriously, raise your hand. That guy did it. So uh, Andrew Havia, he's a co-producer. He's he's from Miami. He's with the the Borscht Film Festival. And basically, I, I guess Terrell was kind of sitting on this thing, or it was in his cupboard or something. You know. It's playwrights. We you have things in your pocket that, that your nobody's list? ever going to see. Where's your list of twenty? There's a nobody's list of twenty things that he was going to do previous, of course. And so you know, there's there's things. Look, Moonlight was is something that if you if you know my work, you know that every other piece is something where I've taken a feeling or a question that I have, and I've built a story around it. Or I found the story to go around it. Moonlight was the opposite. There was all kinds of feelings, but there was there was story already there, and so I for lack of a better word, couldn't find the right framework. Um, so I had, to le I had to leave it alone, because if I had just thrown it up against a wall, it could have been anything. Well, well then I guess my question is, why did you send it, how did you send it to Andrew? Well, because what was the process? Because Heavy, it was like, you are interested in film. Why aren't you making film? And I said, well, because the only thing that I have that comes to me in image is this piece that I can't finish. So read it, tell me what you think, and if, we can, and if you can help me figure out a way to make it, then we'll do it. And he said, okay. And the thing about Heavier is that he'll say, okay, and do this little smile thing. And you're like, what Duende just walked out of the room? Like, you don't know what magical spirit just came into my life with this okay spirit. And then it disappeared. And I went, you know, I went to London and worked with the Royal Shakespeare Company and did other stuff. And at one day I got a call. He's like, we're giving it to Barry. And I was like, who the Who's hell is Barry? Barry? Exactly. <laughs> who, who Barry? And it, it, yeah, and then he said, oh, no. I, and he sent me a link to Chlorophyll. Which is a short film I had done in Miami with, with Borscht. And asked me for another piece so they could work on I think they were like setting us up for the okie doke. They were like, definitely. be busy over here so we can, <laughs> we can make this happen. So B Barry was doing, I think, post on Chlorophyll or either finished it and, and it, was, it wasn't released, but they sent me like a Vimeo of it. And they were starting to do a little bit of the bus that I had written for them. And then they were like, we're sending Moonlight to Barry. And I was like, okay, well, he does good work, so maybe he'll like it. And then that's when I started to get to know who you were, that we'd grown up blocks away from each other and not known each other. Um, we went to the same school at some point and didn't know, um, you know. Did you have friends in common? We Probably. Do. Yeah. We do. We found out today. Really? Yeah. Again, you're still learning. He was like, Tory Cox. I was like, yeah. Oh, that's right. Because he, he was the only kid in fourth grade who had braces. I was like, dude, you have braces. 
I was so not me, Tory Cox. Tory Cox. <laughs> let's get that straight. Yeah. So um, okay, so let's continue that. That uh, then what happens? Then what happens when you? you uh, so like, okay, so, so I, I love telling the story. So originally, I my idea was to give Terrell notes and for him to flesh out what I thought. The, the best film version of the story was. Was that how that was gonna go? Yeah, which was because, because, because the play was like non-linear, jump back and forth in time. Yeah. And I thought, oh, we should do one story at a time. And so we emailed a little bit, not yeah. a lot, but a little bit. Uh, and then Terrell became a MacArthur genius. And once he was certified as a genius, he just had a lot less time. There is no certification process. <laughs> I keep telling, he, anyway. I, just, I call him a genius all the time and he hates it. See how this is, go ahead. And, uh, and, and so then he got super busy. He had like a, a show at Steppenwolf and then he had at the public, and then he's at Royal Shakespeare. And so finally I just flew down to Miami because I was in Oakland all, all the time this was going on. And Adela and I got to the point where we had narrowed it down to these two projects, one of which was Moonlight. And uh, I just flew down, and I was like, hey man, let's, let's sit down and talk about this. And uh, we actually told the story earlier, and it was me pitching Terrell, like, let me do this, let me do this, let me do this, let me do this, let me do this. And then Terrell being like, all right, bro, stop. Just, just, go, just I kept, go do it. I kept being like, okay, so you grew up on what street? Cool, that's dope. And um, you want to tell me about this? And he was like, yes. And so what I planned to do, I was like, yeah, do whatever. Now, who do you know? Like, I was just trying to like, have a I, was, I was all about business, man. Clearly, clearly. I was tired. I had just directed Hamlet. I was tired. I wanted to drink coffee and talk about Liberty City. So that's how that conversation worked. <laughs> and he, he, maybe it wasn't even, it couldn't have been six months later. No, it was pretty quick. I mean, yeah. it was like I was, I had already booked my travel and I was, yeah. I was going to Brussels and I was gonna do the damn thing, and yeah. I just wanted to make sure it was cool. He sent he sent the sc the screenplay, and I was like, "This is good," and I think I sent back something like, "Hey, this is really good. I wrote a scene. Look at it. Don't use it. Use it." And he was like, "Yeah, let me talk to you about that." I was like, "No, no. I honestly mean you don't have to use it. I'm only writing this because I feel like I should write something, all right?" And then, um, but I, I felt I felt all at once. Um, like the story was in, this, the, the thing that Barry won't say is that even though the story is, is less autobiographically him, he knew the world, he knew those people, and he took great care of them. And when he came to the story, he brought his full self. Like he brought all of his powers. He brought his spiritual understandings, his, his cultural mores, as well as his intimate beliefs. And that's what made it pop. That's what made things happen. And there were times where I was like, Barry, do you need help? Do you need anything? What do you need? And he'd be like, no, nah, I got it. I got it. We good. We good. You chill. And I was like, <laughs> all right, fine. But don't come. Don't, if, something is, if, something, if you need something, ask. And it wasn't that he didn't need anything. I understand now. He had mined the piece for everything he, he needed. He had all the tools available to him. Um, and, so it was, and so once I saw it, it was sort of extraordinary because I was like, wow, that's, he took care, great care. Mm. Nurtured is, is, is not even the word, I think. Thanks, bro. Was that, no mining, problem, bro. Was that mining difficult, Barry? Was, it, was there? Was it, there... It, it wasn't, man. That's the whole thing. It was wasn't. That? No. And, and the way I describe this project is I, I say that Terrell, it feels like he took these memories of my memories and he had put them into this dream state. And so for me, the process was waking up from a dream and then just journaling, you know, and just making sense of it. Um, it's kind of how I described it. You know, when, when I went to Europe, 
I had planned to write something else, and I just took uh, the play to sort of get myself writing. I thought, oh, there's a framework. You know, there's like a few scenes that I'm definitely going to have in. It was, this will be a good thing to get me back writing because I hadn't written anything in about two years at that point. And fucking ten days later, I had the first draft. I mean, it just it just poured out. I mean, it was not not difficult at all. And I wouldn't make that up like ten days. I mean, because it was all I was doing. I had no friends in Brussels. I didn't speak the language. I mean, I had one bar, one cafe, and my flat. And it was my whole life was just adapting uh, this the script. And it just came out. It was not difficult at all. And I've never had that experience with the screenplay before. Wow. I want to get... Um I want to give the audience a chance to ask some questions to find out what, um, what direction they want to go. So I might interject a couple more questions, but cool. I want to sort of give um, a moment now to kind of switch gears and let folks in the audience ask a question. So there are two uh, folks with microphones, yes. Uh, so there's a gentleman here with the cap, um, four people, yeah. Well, we'll start with you. Welcome. Hi. Uh, I had a question, I forget your name, um, Miss, uh, in the black. Didi, uh, at 24, uh, Plan B, Plan, Plan B, B. Excuse me. Um, you were saying that uh, a lot of times films aren't ready to go out the gate, those are the words you used, like what would stop a film from being ready to go as opposed to the film that was brought to you, or the script that was brought to you that was ready to go out the gate? So it's like, why was this one different? Right. Yeah. Uh, look, I think there's a lot of... Um, tangible ways to answer that question. You know, scripts take work and revision is really important and do you have the right filmmaker? There's also an intangible answer. Uh, and I don't know how to characterize this other than to say I've done it a long time and, and I care deeply about words and I care deeply about story and I care deeply about filmmakers. And you kind of run on, on an instinct uh, sort of a curatorial mama bear instinct that, oh, this story is humming. It is, it is deeply alive. This person who's going to be at the helm is ready. The world is ready. The world needs this story. You know, it's like a kind of a Chinese puzzle box. And that's the best way I know how to explain how I feel when I read something and can kind of see, oh, okay, let's, let's leap. Uh, that's probably not a very helpful answer, but I do mean it. <laughs> I also remember you guys saying, I don't know if you said it to me or I heard you say it to someone else, the idea that the script stayed with you yeah. and you couldn't stop thinking about it and the sort of power and sort yeah, of Yeah, I wanted to see these characters. I wanted, to, I wanted to know them. I wanted to be in this neighborhood. I wanted, I wanted this... I wanted the result of this story. I desperately wanted that reunion. Like I wanted to see it represented. Uh, so that's the best way I know how to do my job. It's, it's not really practical, but it is how I do it. Thank you. Thank you. You white people, thank you. As a white person, I want to say thank you. Um, I want to bring Marlon Riggs into the room for a moment cool. because not since Marlon Riggs has the, tr the total humanity of the black gay male been presented on the screen. And it's just for someone my age to see this film after watching the Jimmy Baldwin film 
when he wasn't allowed or he chose not to for whatever, you know, to see this love story is so incredibly, incredibly moving. But I want to ask a practical question about casting. I mean, it's so beautifully cast, but a lot of people don't want to play these kind of parts because the public thinks that's who they are. And I want to give a particular shout out to the mother. I thought that, that the, 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 the bravery of that actress. To Naomi Harris? Yeah. The, so if you could talk on, on both sides of, the, of this panel about casting. I just want to say one quick thing. Um, James Baldwin is kind of in this equation somewhere in the sense that the conversation that um, Eugene asked about at Telluride um, involved a shared love of James Baldwin um, that, that we happen to have with Barry. And uh, so he figures in this soup somewhere. Somewhere. Uh, yeah, the, the casting was, uh, you know, it was a challenge, but you know, one of the first things that when I read the piece that I decided was I wanted to, again, do it with the structure where, you know, you saw the character at three different ages. Um, and I decided right away that I didn't want to try to cast someone who could play the character at all three ages. And, uh, you know, this isn't the biggest budgeted film, you know, and we didn't have time to scour the globe and see 5,000 kids and all this stuff. Um, and so I, I was looking for a feeling, you know, amongst the different actors, particularly, you know, all the three Kevins, all the three Chirones. And, uh, and I'm, I'm a big fan of this Walter Murch book, uh, In the Blink of an Eye. It's like the first text I read in film school that really, to me, sort of like gave me a really like footprint or, or foundation and in, in what to sort of look for in the process of both casting and editing and, and directing. And so I felt like if I could find actors who had the same feeling in their eyes, you know, that there would be a continuity. Because uh, to me, if the, it's the same character, but the characters become a different person in each chapter. So it's like, well, we're going to cast different people uh, to play the same character. Um, and, and, the, and the place where it, it became most pronounced was when Travante walked in the room, who plays Black in the third story. <laughs> Travante came in to read for Andre Holland's part before it was Andre Holland's part. And uh, it was kind of ridiculous, because in the film, he's pretty buff. He was even more buff when he came in to read. And he, he had on like this t-shirt, he's like, he like jacked. And I remember he was, he was reading, and it, I thought it was really sweet that he was reading Kevin's lines, because I was like, on oh, what planet this dude, this dude think he's Kevin? Um, but then as he, as he was reading uh, with our casting director, Jesse Ramirez, who was amazing, uh, I just started to see, I started to hear the other side of the conversation coming out of his mouth. And I, I'll never forget, I turned to Adela. I was gonna whisper to her and she was passing me a note. And the note said, not Kevin, black. <laughs> and, uh, and just something about waking up into that third chapter and seeing just how the world had radically altered this person about being able to have the same feeling in his eyes. I was like, okay, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna cast this guy and we're gonna be this bold uh, with all the casting choices. And it kind of just fell into place from there. I mean, it was a lot of work, but it kind of fell into place from there. You know, it's funny. I lived in San Francisco for, for eight years, and I made a movie called Medicine for Melancholy that actually won the Marlon, the Marlon Riggs Award from the San Francisco Film Society. And I never heard, I, I'll be honest, you know, I, I like to pretend that I'm this worldly director, but I never heard of Marlon Riggs before that point. Um, and I very quickly got a radical education um, in his work. Um, you know, I, I consider myself an ally to the LGBTQ community. You know, I'm a straight black man. Um, 
and yet spending so much time in the Bay Area, um, you know, it's hard to not develop, you know, a sense of, of, of just aggressive empathy, you know? And I feel like when I read Terrell's piece, I saw an opportunity to take that empathy and put it into action, because empathy can only get you so far. You know, there's a ceiling. We, we all know a lot of people who've tried to make movies about others who aren't others themselves, purely on empathy, and it only gets you so far. Uh, but I felt like if I could preserve the voice of Terrell's piece, which is why it's lovely to hear you say those things, because I did, I tried to mine it for everything that was true and authentic, and preserve those things, and then use my empathy to take it uh, the rest of the way. So the fact that you even invoked his name and reflection of this film just means the world to me. And in fact, the first, the first book uh, so I, we both grew up in Miami. We both grew up in Liberty City, which is a the underserved it's like, it's like community. The, yeah, the South Central of yeah, Miami. Yeah, of I guess Miami. You call it. And um, and I, I spent a lot of time at the library. And one of the first books that I ran a across uh, was Essex Hemphill's uh, Ceremonies. Uh, I just remember finding it and remember feeling like. There, I'm sure someone felt the same feeling about James Baldwin. There was that gasp of air you get in when you see somebody saying uh, what, what Marlon Riggs and Essex says all the time, which is black men loving each other is a radical idea. This is on the home screen, this is on, the home screen on my phone. This is how much we, we rally for Mr. Baldwin around these parts. Yeah, it's, it's, it's anyway, it just, it, it, it may, it, it, they, that idea about watching intimacy between black men was all, has always been at the root of my work. And as you said, it, it, you think in the film world it's impossible. In the theater world too, I have had many times hired actors quit midway through because they say all of a sudden, oh, well, I got something else. Or, but it, it's always because at some point you have to bring that intimacy on stage and I fear for what will happen to me outside of this. Mm -hmm. will, you all, will you always think of me as being this intimate, this kind, this generous to another man on stage? You know, I forgot that part of your question. There were a lot of actors who auditioned uh, for this film who just did not give a fuck what anybody thought straight, gay, the whole gamut that came out to audition. So, you know, there was a little bit of, uh, of, of what you're implying, but not a lot. We, we found that people, I don't know, the world is just ready uh, for these kind of characters, you know? You know? And, uh, and there were a lot of people who came out, you know, with their heart and souls. And I think the people who ended up in the film, oh, good Lord. I that mean, cat. just. Okay, let's take some more questions. Raise your hand. Right next to Jim. Same row. Um, hello, thank you all for your work um, and for taking our questions this evening. I just wanted to give a shout out as a fellow South Florida native um, and wanted to give a compliment. I haven't seen the entire film, I've only seen the trailer thus far and a compliment that I've heard and can agree with that I want to pass on is how beautifully shot and lit the actors are. Um, Lighting black people in cinema and television is a constant issue, and it's just, it's beautiful. And I think it also gives a compliment to the original piece, uh, Black Boys Look Blue in Moonlight. Um, and I found that ironic and serendipitous at the same time. So I just wanted to give a compliment because cinematically it is a treat. <laughs> Thank you. You know, the cinematographer is white. Um, but, but, but he's been my boy for like, what, 15 years? So, so he knows, <laughs> he knows. And the other thing too, we, we, with the makeup, we, uh, 
you know, we didn't want, there was no powder on this show. You know, I, I, growing up in Miami, people sweat. And to me, sweating is just a sign that things are alive, you know? The body's replenishing itself. So this was, what was it, grapeseed oil? And, and I mean, we just, we all, so many oils. we oiled everybody up. I was like, there's no powder on this show. Mm-mm. Y'all gonna glisten. Uh, and, and you're right, James did do, he took great care. Because, um, you know, you know, we have this character whose name is Black. You know, he's got a very deep, deep, dark complexion. And I think James just, ah, oh, he did such good work. Because Travante just looks beautiful in this film, particularly in that car ride home, uh, which is the first scene in, in the trailer. Yeah, yeah, he took, he, he, he knew what it was, and, and he took great care with it. So I'll pass that compliment on to him. <laughs> Over here, and then we'll go to the center. Hello. I just wanted to say to everybody involved, I saw it yesterday, and um, I worked in distribution for two years, and I remember a lot of production companies would say, you know, some black stories just don't move me, I'm not moved, I don't get it. I just don't, I don't feel anything. So when you talked about feeling something, yesterday I walked away feeling something attached to these characters. So I wanted to give a compliment and a question. The compliment is just thank you guys for making a body of work that, it, that explores black humanity. And um, my question is, what do you hope this film will do? What a, a conversation will you hope it evokes? And also, if you guys don't head out, I would love to grab a picture with you guys because <laughs> I think it's history in the making with you two right here. So. What of, what do you want to come from Moonlight? So don't think. I think this is it for us. But no, I because uh, I ain't got no money and my phone is turned off. Uh, is that what happened? No, I'm joking. Oh. I was like, I got a couple dollars for you. Um, um, the film is difficult for me to sit through. Um, I had to learn that the hard way. Um, I, I watched the first screening I went to afterwards. I was very happy and excited, and I I, I think I hugged Barry and Barry, you know. I don't often hug, but I like hugged him and was like, yeah, this is great. And I walked home with my friend Andre. Andre Holland and I are very close friends, so I walked home and I was like skipping. And then almost, it, I mean, about 24 hours later, I fell into one of the deepest depressions I've ever been in. Um, uh, I think, anyway, I say all this to say, uh, watching those moments, those images are painful because they are real for me. That's my life. There are moments that are actual, I mean, there are things being said that were said. There are actions taking place that happen. I mean, Barry text, I think he texted me one night and was like, do you remember writing that? I was like, you would remember if you lived it. Like you, yeah, yeah, it never goes away. And so being in that, being in it is, kind of, is, is rough and, and beautiful at the same time. I get excited because I, you know, I see poor Naomi Harris and I'm just like, hey, and I'm hugging her. And she, and I know she's like, I'm not your mom. <laughs> I know you, but I'm, but I, um, and at the same time, I check, I understand that if it is doing this to me, there is someone else out there who needs this too. Like you can't, it's not just me and it's not just B. It's not just, uh, there are people there who need it and, and feel it too. And so for me, it's, we're in service of that. We're in service of those people who are sitting through it going, how did they know? How do you know about that? How did you know I poured? palm olive into the bathtub and boiled water because you know the electricity was or whatever it was how did you know that we have to those for me that that's if we don't allow those people voice uh then what are we doing 
Uh, I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to co-op us, but no, no. I, I feel that way, absolutely. Um, and, I, and when Plan B sort of spoke to me about it and how uh, passionate they felt about it, and for the same reasons, I was like, see, that's, we can, we can, that's, I think that's why we all work together so well, because at the end of the day, we may not know each other, I don't know everybody's kids' names, or they don't know my boyfriend's name, but we know that this story is speaking to us and therefore it was allowing someone else to have voice. You know, we're all under the same moonlight at some point. Next question. <laughs> oh. uh, so this is for Barry. So those 10 days when you were in Brussels, can you kind of just walk through what that was for you and kind of how that uh, worked. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty simple. I just, I, I polled people, I think the question was, no offense to anyone who's Belgian, but I said, what's the most boring place in <laughs> Europe? What's the most boring place in Europe in the summer? And the polling came back with Brussels. Uh, so, and I, and I found, and it must have been true because I found an amazing Airbnb for not a lot of money. Um, and uh, it was, it was weird, it was kind of sad. There was, the flat was cool, and it, it, if you go on the New York Times, they did this video of uh, it's like the 20 faces, 20 filmmakers under 40 in, in, in international cinema, and the video I did is basically me writing the script uh, in, in Brussels. It's kind of a, a nice time, time capsule. It was exactly three years ago, um, that, and I did it from Brussels. I had a little di uh, digital still camera that had a video mode. Um, but I would wake up, and uh, I'd make coffee. I'd hand grind my coffee, and I'd make a little coffee. I'd have a cup, I'd write a few pages, uh, then I'd go and get lunch. And this was all, I was on the side street, and there was like total Barry Jenkins fastball. There was a cafe, there was a bar, and there was a menswear store. And so I was just like in heaven. So I literally would just, I, I, would, I would work my way down the block during that day. I would end up at Lower Byron, and uh, I just wrote. I didn't, I didn't have any friends, I didn't have a cell phone. Uh, I, I only had internet at the flat. I mean, it was just like, there was nothing else, you know? And, and it was her point was, you need to go somewhere where there's nothing else. And I didn't expect to write, write, write the, the script so fast, but it kind of just happened. I mean, it just, it just came out, you know? And so I think I don't need to be in total isolation to do that, but it was total isolation and full immersion um, in the world of the characters, yeah. We'll go here, and then we'll go back there. Uh, Thank you to, for everybody for the film. I, I haven't had the opportunity to see it yet, but you know, when you see a trailer, that you're just like, this is going to be a good one. Um, hearing all of you talk and just feeling like the warmness, and it just feels like a family that made this film kind of come to life. As as a filmmaker, I know inevitably with any project, there's always like, you kind of get like moments of frustration where it's not so much like you're angry with the project or anything but you're just kind of like you feel like you're not doing it justice or something like you just feel like you could be giving more and i guess this is more a, a barry question i i'd love to hear everyone's opinions but since i direct i, I, I gave everything man this movie yeah. this movie not killed me but man it came damn close i i, mean, I, like, I gave I think, everything i think my bro. question is really coming to like Obviously, without getting into spoilers or anything, I really don't haven't seen it, so I can't like name a certain part where I would ask you about. But if there's like a moment either on set or before or in post where you're just like 
really like something that broke you you know well i don't know about broke me but man the first time i showed these guys the film oof <laughs> y'all remember that yeah but oof. i was thinking i was actually oof. thinking of uh, like but the fact that we're sitting here is a miracle <laughs> Because, because I was that's like, not, what do you that's mean? not fair. No, that's, that's not very fair. fair. No. <laughs> well, based on the feeling I had that day, you know, I think I think I think I, I think showed I the did. film too soon. I showed them a cut of the film too soon. It wasn't it wasn't ready, you know. I, I did. And, and and the response was very adult because we're all family. It was like, you gotta do better. You know, go 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 back in there. You gotta do better. You know, and we, and we feel the need to show it to them so soon. Were you? Did you need some kind of feedback? No, for sure. Yeah, for sure. No, for sure. The, the, she's persistent, and we didn't need feedback at that point. Yeah, I mean, it, it was the same film, but it just wasn't. It just wasn't there. And I think the thing, the thing of the thing of it was, I didn't. Tr I wasn't trusting the film at that point because it wasn't as quiet as it is now. There's a lot of silence in the film that wasn't in the very first cut that I showed. Because you'd be shocked, but that's a very funny version of Moonlight. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, not totally funny, but there's like a lot more lightness, and just because we had such a good time making it. Um, and I think the first cut of the film leaned way too heavily on that stuff. And there was a, there's, there's such charismatic performers, there was a very easy way to tip some of these characters into likability. Um, and we just had to work our way away from that. But I do remember that was the lowest point for me, bro, in the process of making this film. Yeah. Is that a difficult uh, uh, level of trust? Is it difficult to reach that level of trust? And is it how do you give that kinds of that kind of feedback, Didi and Jeremy? When when if 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 Barry's being accurate and you felt like it wasn't ready, uh, how do you do that? How do you encourage also? You know, th this this was like a. This was like a sacred feeling experience, uh, and and I feel that there was always this working in the service of the film that we all had read and wanted to do, and and when you when you are aligned in that larger, um, it sounds like you know a little grandiose, maybe sacred, but I mean, like there is a feeling that you have that that is like bigger than what you bigger than you or something like that, and that. Then you don't. Then, then your conversation is about that other thing, not about. You know, everyone has agendas and egos and opinions. But um, I, you know, as a, as Adela said earlier, like, you know, Didi and I have been working together for over thirteen years. Um, we have a wonderful common language, and um, and then we had that with Adela and Barry, and um, and it was all very. It may have been difficult, but I, I don't think we, other than the time we had the fight about uh, visa, um, a, a sort of visa logistic thing. Uh, which worked out, <laughs> which worked literally out. Literally the only fight we ever had was about a visa. Um, uh, we, we have had a, we've had a, um, there was, we were aligned in some, in some like endeavor together. I yeah. think too, movies, um, you only get to put it out in the world once. Mm and uh, there seems to be a really arbitrary set of rules and regulations inside the industry about release dates and now and this and 10 weeks and men, DJ and guilt, and it's like none of that matters. It's like you, you're, I think the only job we have is to create a harbor and hold it safe for as long as the movie asks. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, then I think you've done your job. 
Yeah, and I will say it was wrong of me to have that initial reaction because from the very beginning, everybody, A24 especially, that was their whole mindset. You know, it'll it, it'll be ready when it's ready. Right. You know, and you guys take the time you need to get it ready. Well, for the record, I don't think that you showed the film too soon. I think that moment was always going to have to come. It was and it was gonna be hard whenever it happened. See, with my first film, I didn't have producer. I didn't have to do this, you know. It was like we just we we toiled away for like four weeks. Like here we go, we got a mumblecore movie. It's awesome, you know. <laughs> this was a very very different process. Is part of that Barry? Is part of that because of your other partners involved in this project? Was it part partially like I gotta I gotta get something out there because people are waiting? Or was no, it just no? It wasn't that. It was just you know the the shoot. Everybody was so invested, and, and I will say they gave me the space to sort of toil away. And at some point, you know, we're collaborators. You know, you, want, you have to bring other people into the process to help you see things that you cannot see. Um, and that was what began after, you know, we shared that first cut. I say we, myself and the editors, after we shared that first cut with you guys. And it only got better and better. Better and better is the wrong word. It became itself, you know. It just very rapidly became itself from that point forward. Um, there was a question up here. Yes, so let's let you get. This might be our last one. We're out of time. Go ahead. Uh, it's actually for Terrell. Um, I feel like you said that you fell into a deep depression after you first saw the film. And I think as a writer and as someone who has events happen to them that they have to write about all the time, do you feel like you've pulled from that muse from the film several times to be able to come back to it and say, okay, this happened and that happened and just kind of bring yourself full circle? No, I wish I, I wish I could say I wish I could say that I've gone full circle. The film, because it's you know it's new, is it's mining it's mining things that I have thought about and and written about in abstract. But when it uh, again, and have you seen it? I'm not. I'm going to say it after this. Okay, cool. When you watch it, the thing that Barry does that is impressive is that he takes these moments that may be the worst moments in a person's life and does what exactly what Miami does to them, which is, I, and I told this story earlier, one, one of the one thing I remember specifically, uh, these kids were chasing me, they were beating me up and they were throwing rocks at me. And they were like chucking these rocks and I was running for my life and then they stopped throwing these rocks. And I looked around and there was, there, there was a bunch of cars and I realized that they didn't want to hit the cars but they were still gonna hit me. But as I was standing there, the sun was like setting, and it was this beautiful blush on the, on, you know, and there was a breeze through the, through the palm trees on 62nd, and the, you know, there was Poncietta growing. I mean, that's the world I grew up in. And to make that real for people, and myself again, is kind of destabilizing. Um, and it's, it's one of those things that every time it comes back to me, it's like, whoa, that, I, do you understand? So, so I'm still processing. I'm still going, and I, and I would be lying to you if I said I had gotten to a place where it, I can walk out upright. I, uh, the, even yesterday, just talking to uh, some of the, the actors, I kind of like, it just destabilizes you in a way. Um, and I think that's important. It's so important because, again, I, I could describe these things ad nauseum, but when you feel it, when you can make someone feel it, um, then it stays with you. Um, then it does what it did to Didi and Jeremy. It, it's something that you can keep thinking about on the subway, or you know what I'm saying? So in that way, that's why I decided, I was like, look, I'm just gonna go and talk about the film for a while and be an advocate as much as possible, because it does the thing that I have been hoping for. 
in that way. Yeah, I have a question been, about Hello Stranger. Yeah, yeah. So in San Francisco, I, uh, <laughs> I used to go to this soul night uh, at the makeout room, and uh, and that song used to play, man. And and so most of the music in the film, I, I sort of chose. I'm like really big about music, and I will say we didn't talk about the score, but it was composed basically a block away from here uh, in Nicholas Bertel's uh, home studio. Um, and uh, and that song just always just it's just stuck in my head, man. And so and I'll give these guys credit because it's written into the screenplay, which that doesn't happen very often. Literally, the lyrics are written into the screenplay, and uh, from the very beginning, we were all like, okay, we're gonna go get the song. And we actually you're not supposed to do this, but we actually played the fucking song on set every take we did, and you're not supposed to do that. But I was like, fuck it, we're getting this song. Um, and, and, and I remember the first day Andre Holland showed up to set, the sound guy came over to me, he was like, hey man, I'm sorry, but you know, you, got, you gotta stop the actor, he's like singing this song. I was like, what? He was in the kitchen when he's cooking for Trevante, he's singing Hello Stranger. Of course. And I was like, oh bruh, we're, just, we're doing something right. The thing you don't know is that we play this game called What's that sample? Mm -hmm. And that song is sampled in Miss Fat Booty. Oh, no, 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 no. You're talking about the Aretha Franklin when, yes, when he first no, walks in. Uh, Hello Stranger sampled in another song that we played. Mm -hmm. We played this game all the time. So we, we were listening to that, and he was like, you know, Barry got us in here listening to Hello Stranger. I was like, shut mm -hmm. up. <laughs> it all comes full circle. It's good times. Um, the film is Moonlight. We are so excited to have it here at the 54th New York Film Festival. Someone, uh, before, before you clap, someone in this panel will tell me it opens uh, in theaters October, October 21st. October 21st, and I say that for uh, folks who will listen to this conversation on a podcast over the next few weeks, uh, and it will give them a chance to, uh, to uh, write that date down and, and maybe hear the conversation after they see it as well. Um, Thank you all so much you. for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um. The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Nick Kemp and Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, please visit filmlink.org, F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here. <laughs>